Hi, everyone. It's Mike at the library again. I'm here with our library director, Casey Armstrong, and a guest speaker who I am extra proud and honored to introduce, Dr. Marcus Germany. He has a special place in the hearts of all of us at Euclid Public Library because not too long ago, he was one of us. While attending Euclid High School, he, right next door, Marcus took a job as a page at the library. That's one of the people you see sorting and shelving all the return library materials. And I never saw Marcus without a smile on his face, never heard anyone say a bad word about him and still haven't. In fact, one person who went to high school with Marcus and also worked here with him recently told me, that man is a saint when I told him Marcus was going to be doing a program with us. Marcus dreamed of becoming a doctor then and it's making it come true. He graduated from the University of Cincinnati with a doctorate in medicine. He is finishing his residency in internal medicine and pediatrics at Metro Health in June. And if all goes according to plan, he will stay local and practice as a primary care doctor afterwards. Everyone, please welcome Dr. Germany. Hi there, Dr. Germany. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on with us. Anytime. Glad to be here. <laughs> so, Marcus, could you give us a quick overview of what drew you to the medical field and made you want to become a doctor? Sure. Sure. For um, actually a long time, I thought I was going to be a teacher. Going towards the end of high stone in juniors and seniors in high school, and I didn't enjoy it too, too much. So I, I still wanted to work with children, but I uh, did some shadowing with my pediatrician at the time and decided to pursue that route. So I finished, like Mike said, I finished medical school and I'm finishing residency in June. And if all goes to plan, I'll be a, a clinic and community pediatrician and internist. In what ways has the pandemic changed what your experience has been in working at the hospital? Sure. I, I think back to last year, and I, I think it's safe to say that we were dealing with the pandemic before we knew we were dealing with the pandemic. We had, um, just talking to some of my co-workers and colleagues, that we had quite a few uh, quite a bit number of patients that came in with were very sick um, and they had signs and symptoms of the flu, but they tested negative for the flu. So we really didn't know what we were dealing with until the cases started to go up. We developed a test for the virus and we knew then that those patients that we saw the really sick patients that we couldn't get a, couldn't get a handle on probably had COVID mm -hmm. um, and we just didn't know it yet. Okay. So going through uh, last spring into the summer, things had, you know, they had spiked and then they had kind of calmed down a little bit, but going into the fall and winter, we started to see a surge and a very high number of cases at a, at a single time. So we actually enacted at my hospital and other hospitals around the, uh, the city in the country, um, different surge plans for patients and admission protocols. And it pretty much shook everything that we knew as a normal workflow or throughput kind of up in the air and it turned itself uh, on its head. Um, we're still seeing a pretty decent number of patients with uh, coronavirus being diagnosed and testing positive. And we're also seeing a number of people who are still exhibiting symptoms, but not testing positive. So we, we still have to kind of assume that they're likely to have it, although their test is, is um, negative. Now, that's to say that no medical test is 100% accurate um, at any point in time, and this is no different. So we, we have to do our due diligence and still care for those patients, even though that 
all the data suggests that they may not have it. We still have to keep it in the back of our minds. And one of the things giving us hope in combating the COVID-19 virus and pandemic is the expedited rollout of the vaccines. So a couple of questions, have you been vaccinated? And if so, what side effects did you experience? And have you heard of others having the same type of thing? I was vaccinated on December 18th, I think. That's when I got my first shot of the Pfizer kind of series. And then some, somewhere in the first full week of January, I got the second dose in the Pfizer sequence. And I'll, I'll tell you, the first dose went fine. I get the flu shot every year. And that flu shot actually hurt worse than the, uh, the first dose of the Pfizer vaccine. Wow. The second dose hit me a little harder. Uh, there was more pain at the injection site. And I experienced just uh, fatigue and a slight headache. It was nothing that uh, night in with some fluids and a good meal couldn't fix. Got a good night's sleep, woke up uh, the next day, was just fine. So uh, mild symptoms for me. And I hear that others who've gotten the shot have experienced similar symptoms. Some of them have had muscle aches, um, fatigue, headaches, and then again, the prolonged uh, pain at the injection site. And again, it's nothing that, you know, what we call supportive care, Motrin, Tylenol, fluids, and, and staying, uh, keeping yourself uh, nourished, can't figure. Um, the, most, the most severe side effects that I've heard, and these are, these are quite rare. Um, I don't even have the, the data uh, memorized, but it's, it's less, way less than 1%. Okay. Is that some people had a, um, an allergic reaction, but not anaphylactic, which means they developed a rash or they had some trouble breathing, but they were never in any, any true anaphylaxis or risk of um, respiratory compromise. Um, so those are, again, those are the symptoms that are most severe, but they are, they are extremely, extremely infrequent. Is there any difference between side effects for people of color versus uh, European, European folks? And a question from uh, the Facebook user is, uh, is there anything, anything at all that we should be afraid of? Uh, to answer both of those questions, there are no reported differences in side effects from the vaccine for people of color and, pe and people of, uh, of Caucasian uh, descent. Um, and the second question was, is there anything to be afraid of? And I think the answer is yes. Uh, I think the you should be afraid of not being educated about the vaccine and letting this opportunity go by and you receiving the wrong information. Uh, regarding the vaccine, I encourage people to reach out to trusted sources like their own doctor or their own hospital institution where they get their regular health information mm -hmm. and consult with those providers rather than uh, untrusted sources throughout the uh, internet and beyond. Okay. As far as the vaccine goes, I don't think there's anything that anyone should be so afraid of that that, that would preclude them from getting it. Um, so like, like I said, I think that the, the biggest thing you should fear is receiving the wrong information and letting that be the reason that you put yourself at risk. And that's, and that's why we have you here today because the, you know libraries, our number one job is to provide information, make sure that people have access to the best information possible. Working in internal medicine with the uh, the adults and in pediatric with children and adolescents, I, I hear uh, a wide range of uh, misconceptions. Mm -hmm. um, mothers come to me and worry that they can't get the shot when they're either pregnant or breastfeeding, and that's that is not that's simply not true. That the shot is what we call a killed vaccine, or it's inactivated, which means that it does not uh, pose a risk to uh, the baby if it's uh, not born yet or if you're breastfeeding. 
So we actually encourage mothers to get the shot who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Um, and, and works much like the flu shot in that immunity, immunity for the mother uh, portrays immunity for the baby. Um, in terms of my adolescent crew is that they they can't wait to get this shot so they can walk around without a mask and do whatever they want in, in large numbers. And, that, and right now, I know we're going in the right direction and we want to keep going in the right direction. Um, as of now, we still need to wear our mask, be mindful of our distancing and staying away from large groups. Okay. We still need to do our, our part in the early stages because of two reasons, really. Not everyone has been vaccinated, and especially for the older crew. And the vaccine is not, like I said before, 100% effective. It's about 95%, which is, which is stellar, but it is not a foolproof method to uh, protect yourself. So we need to let the vaccine and ourselves do, do the work. And then lastly, some of the misconceptions that I hear from my uh, older crew, especially those with chronic diseases, like high blood pressure and diabetes, is that they should not get the, the vaccine because of those conditions, when in fact, it's the exact opposite. And that if you have chronic diseases, such as those two, uh, hypertension or high blood pressure, diabetes, uh, obesity, um, liver disease, things that make you more susceptible to infection, you should be chomping at the bit to get this vaccine because uh, unfortunately those people with the chronic illnesses are most likely not only to have a severe case mm -hmm. from the virus but actually um die from it oh. so we encourage everyone including and especially those with chronic diseases to um seriously consider getting the shot so early data suggests that minorities and people of color especially african-americans are refusing to take the vaccine at rates higher than expected. So what do you tell your patients about the vaccine to educate and reassure them? You know, I, I definitely start by saying where the patient is and what uh, he or she understands about the vaccine before I give any information. It's, it's, a, it's an open-ended discussion aimed at me wanting to provide as much information that the patient wants to hear. That I will never shove information down someone's throat or, or force them to, to do something that they are not willing to do. So I, I definitely start by making sure that they understand what they think they understand. And then I gently probe them and see if I can give them some more information. Um, do you understand, you know, the risk of the virus versus the risk of the vaccine and the, and the benefits of the vaccine? I can't say there's a benefit to the virus. But I think that the, the most important thing that I try and impress upon my patients is that um, we know what the virus can do, especially to people of color, uh, minorities, African-Americans, the, the whole run of the game. We know that they disproportionately need to be hospitalized, they have a more severe illness, and they're more likely to die from the virus. Um, and so once they understand that, I, I try, and, try and flip it to what you understand about the vaccine. And a lot of things that people say they've heard from the vaccine, about the vaccine, is it's just not true. And then it's, we, we try and um, educate our patients to get the best information from the best sources. And oftentimes, that, um, unfortunately, the loudest sources aren't always the best. What I impress upon them is that to, to take my, my um, story as an example, I was not gung-ho about this vaccine in the beginning. I'll be quite honest. I was, I was leery. I was like, here we go again, more, more um, issues in healthcare. But the more I, I learned about it through through work and everything else, I, I decided that it it was too great a risk to pose to not only myself, but to my family and to my patients. 
and that this vaccine was something that I, I had to do. Okay. Uh, I read up on the side effects, the potential side effects, and the risks and the benefits, and it was it was a clear choice that the vaccine was was the only option for me. So that's I try and impress upon them like that's my that was my journey that I wasn't always going to go. And then the side effects that I've spoken about, what I've experienced, and what most people experience, and then I give them kind of like the worst case scenario. You know, once you get the vaccine, it's it's pretty standard practice that you're monitored for a length of time to make sure you don't have one of those um, scary reactions because those typically um, show themselves in about the first 10 to 15 minutes up to about a half hour if you're going to have some uh, life-threatening reaction typically. So I, I try to lay as many fears as I can, but still uh, give as much information as the patient wants to know. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, if the patient still says that they don't want it, that's completely fine. I, I'm, I'm just reassured that they have the information that they can make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and I let them know that you not wanting it now does not mean that you can never get it. So I, I give them kind of a, uh, a reassurance that you can, you can change your mind about this. So could you provide us an update about what's going on with teens and children as far as their timeline for getting the vaccine? And then we evidently have a scientist on the, on the chat because the question is, since two of the vaccines are from mRNA, is there any possibility of changes to our DNA structure? Sure, sure, sure. As far as children and adolescents go, it's not currently approved. I, I think the two shots are different. One is uh, approved for age 16 and one is approved for age uh, 18 and up, and I can't remember which one is, is which. We're not vaccinating them just yet. We have to get um, kind of the, we, we're working in a phase approach in the state of Ohio. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a, a reverse uh, kind of age or reverse chronicity in that the older people are getting vaccinated first and then we'll trickle down to uh, the younger crowd, which is why it's especially important that we still all the same things that we've been doing for a year, uh, being mindful of our distancing, wearing our masks, and just uh, staying, what I'll say, staying off of, the, off of the social scene as much as we can. As far as vaccine being an mRNA-based vaccine, it is, this is actually not the first mRNA vaccine that we've had. It's probably the most um, publicized and widely known now, but other, other vaccines that we've had in the past are using the same technology. And then to be, to be quite frankly clear, there is no, absolutely no chance that this will alter our, our DNA. The relationship between, going back to the basic science, relationship between uh, mRNA and DNA is, uh, is related, but that is through a completely different mechanism that is, that is not, um, have anything to do with a vaccine versus uh, human DNA. So your DNA cannot be altered with this vaccine. You, you mentioned fear. So how can we overcome that fear? How can we uh, trust our healthcare professionals? What types of questions should we, we be asking when we go to the doctor if you are African-American person? Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I, I did a presentation regarding African-Americans and their, and their mistrusting relationship with uh, healthcare. And I'll tell you that it, this is this uh, vaccine is no different than what I experienced with um, the flu shot. Mm -hmm. uh, as a pediatrician, I, I get to, in fortunate, I guess, opportunity to, the, to poke the kids, make sure that they're all uh, healthy and well enough to go to school and, and help these communicable diseases that we were that were once rampant in the past now are um, pretty much uh, gone from the from the population. Uh, but I do get a lot of pushback on uh, or about the flu shot. And 
it's it's a generational thing, you know. Um, this person says that my mother never got it. You know, her mother never got it. This person's grandfather never got it. So they're not taking it, and they don't want their uh, kids to take it. And once I have that conversation, it's like, well, well, why? And oftentimes the answer I get is that it's just something that we just don't do, which is fine. I I I totally respect that. But I again probe the probe the patient and see if they like to learn more. If they're willing, fantastic. If they're not, that's fantastic too. But I make sure that they know that if they want the real answer, I will help them uh, discover it in a non-biased way. But those people kind of, kind of who seem skeptical about either the shot or anything else that's medical, I I like to take some time and, and address that there that there was a rough relationship between healthcare and and uh, black people, especially in the past. Let them know what has changed since then, because that's that's the missing piece. See, people understand that there was an issue, and now. They think there's still an issue, but there's there's this wide area of time that many people don't know about and that we do need more African-American um, participation in our studies and research so that so that um, instances just like this vaccine can be more better studied and more appropriate for uh, people of color and minorities. So going back to the mistrust, I. I try and put myself as a as a as an ally or a trusted. Uh, a partner in their healthcare, being um, African American myself, I think that it allays some patients' fears that, you know, I can trust him. As what's your outlook on the future as it relates to COVID? How can we get back to a normal way of living? Sure, I think today's news that we were discussing, Mike, is uh, wonderfully promising. That this ban on or the the curfew and the the ban on, I guess, uh, kind of curtailed services is uh, lifted, and I can almost promise you that this ban or this resolution was not taken uh, lightly, that the governor was not under any special pressure to make this happen, that he studied the data, looked at the trends and determined that not only now, but weeks beyond, we are in a, in a better place than we were. And that's why he decided to lift the ban or allowed it to, to go into effect. Uh, going forward, it is going to get warmer, we hope. Um, so we can, we can, Kind of spread out more. We're not all clustered and crammed inside. Um, the vaccine, of course, is a, a literal godsend in that we are working tirelessly to get as many people vaccinated as quickly as we can get them vaccinated as possible. Um, I, you know, I, I was one who didn't want to take any trips or any vacations until this was resolved. And myself, I'm looking towards the future and trying to plan some, um, plan some vacations for myself because. A, I, I, I need some time away. This is this has been a very challenging time. And B, I think that we're we're getting to a place where it is okay to start to start planning uh, vacations and starting to starting to get back to a normal way of living. Maybe not immediately, but towards yeah. the future as not we tomorrow. get to the Not tomorrow. <laughs> not tomorrow. Exactly. Not tomorrow, but in uh, a few tomorrows from tomorrow, we can we can start to look for some um some travel destinations just to see, you know. And be mindful and be and be very uh, safe. I'm assuming, Marcus, that most vaccination processes require some study, which yes. involves human trials at some point. Sure, sure. Well, they, well these vaccines were definitely studied uh, pretty robustly. Um, mm -hmm. We, I think that the one of the issues is that we didn't hear much about the vaccine in terms of the the research and the analysis and all of the kind of the scientific things, we kind of heard that there's a shot, 
mm-hmm. it's been tested. Now you can get it. And then the details were kind of kind of left out just for, I guess, science's sake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it is true that African-Americans were not as represented in the studies than other groups, especially um, uh, white people. But that is no different than any other uh, vaccine. African-Americans historically are underrepresented in not only the studies of vaccines, but um, medical studies in general. Okay. Is one vaccine better than the other, Pfizer or Moderna? Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a great question, that, uh, that there are two brands of the vaccine, and there is a slight difference in and how it protects you against the virus. And by slight, I mean it is not clinically significant. I myself received the Pfizer vaccine uh, because it was one of the first, it was the first one to be uh, approved and and distributed. A large number of my uh, colleagues received the Moderna version. It really makes no difference which which one you take. The the biggest difference is that uh, the timing of the second dose differs for Pfizer and Moderna. For Pfizer, you get your first dose, and then you get your second dose three weeks later, and I believe for Moderna, it's four weeks later. Give us a scale, Dr. German. Sure. Um, one to ten, with ten being the most painful, where does your shot fall? Um, I, I'll tell you what it felt like. The the shot feels like it's a, a kind of a chronic or just incessant cramping, and that your muscle just feels tight. I got it right in the, in the left arm, and just it just felt really, really uh, tight, like it wouldn't it was like a cramp that just wouldn't release. And, you know, I could, you know, I could still move it and bend it and use it and write and all the drive and all the other things, but it was just, you know, you could tell you got a shot in that arm. You know, I, to be, to be uh, very transparent, some of my coworkers did require it. You know, they were experiencing some symptoms that made them uncomfortable coming to work the next day, which is completely understandable. Um, that if they were too sick to care for themselves, they could care for other people. So, um, especially for the um, second shot, people were telling me that a day off was was much needed because of the timing of the, the symptom that they felt. Some of them got it overnight, which means it carried over into the morning, and they just weren't ready to go for the next day of work. It's it's nagging. It's there. You you know it's there. It you know you get the headaches, some muscle muscle pains. You know you're you're having these symptoms, but that's that's reassurance that your immune system is is doing its job. It's, it's conferring immunity to this to this virus, and and you as much as they are inconvenient and they they stink. You want that to happen. You want you want to feel some evidence like, ah, it's working now. It's working. The more of us that participate mm-hmm. when it's our turn, the, mm-hmm. the faster we can get this process done. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that we're early in the, in the process and we're still needing to work out kinks and scheduling from a variety of perspectives, but patience and time will, will definitely lead to uh, eradication of of this issue and getting back to where we want to be and where we need to be in our lives. Um, I, I just personally don't know when we're going to get there. Anything else we want to make sure we mention? Um, you know, I think we hit the the highest or the most important parts in that the vaccine um, is here to to serve and protect us. It is not to cause us more harm than the virus, certainly. Um, and that is certainly something that everyone should consider, especially those with chronic conditions, like we like we spoke about, um, that we should strongly consider getting the vaccine. And that patience and time, not only with the vaccine, but with the, what I hope 
is the end of the pandemic and that we still need to be mindful of our social responsibility um, to help end this thing and that a uh, brighter future is is coming. I think we'll be not only where we were, but in a better place. Right. So I, I, I encourage everyone to uh, reach out to a trusted source, uh, learn more about the vaccine and learn how you can and when you're eligible to get the vaccine and where where you can you can uh, receive it. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Germany, for joining us this evening. We appreciate all the information. Thank you so much for having me. This has been very, uh, this is fun. This is fun. I appreciate everyone's questions. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.